jingle, won't you share our love? We will build for you a hut. You're gonna be our favorite nut. We'll have a lot of little oh by golly. Then we'll put them in the follies. By jingle, said by gosh, by gee. By Jiminy, please don't bother me. So they all went away singing oh by gee, by gosh, by gum, by jee. Hello and welcome to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. And in this episode, I will be uh, going a little bit deeper into Native Son by uh, Richard Wright. In the last episode, we looked at book one, Fear. And in this episode, we'll look at um, most of book two, Flight. But uh, book two, Flight, actually, will it's about 150 pages. Um, so we won't finish all of that, but we'll finish it up in the next episode and then move into book three, the final part of the book. Uh, called Fate, and we'll, that'll take an episode and a half. So that's what it looks like going forward. Um, now, Book Two Flight uh, covers a couple things. There's like a couple scenes or, or developments throughout Book Two. Uh, it begins uh, with the day after the bigger Thomas's murder of, of, of Mary, and it ends with, with his arrest. Um, so, you know, that c- could be a very short a series of events, right? Like in the, um, like I was saying in the last episode, the new movie adaptation of Native Sunset in contemporary times uh, basically does that. It, it doesn't actually have him arrested, it has him uh, shot by police, um, but it condenses that into like the last 10 minutes of, of the movie. But I, I like what's done here. I think since there's such a big focus on the fear aspect and the anxiety, just the perpetual anxiety that comes from being black in America, um, Richard Wright, at least that's what Richard Wright wants to emphasize, um, then stretching out the the cat and mouse um, game is interesting. And now it's not really until the midpoint of, of flight that the private investigator that the Daltons hire and, and consequently the police start to suspect Bigger Thomas. Initially, Bigger's plan is to just uh, frame Jan, the boyfriend, Mary's boyfriend, which is easy to do for a couple of reasons. One is uh, Mary was taking a trip to Detroit anyways, so she was going to be gone the next day, so uh, her disappearance wouldn't be immediately recognized. Um, of course, there's the issue with her bag. Like, Bigger Thomas didn't destroy the bag, um, the, the the trunk. So that's still there. So that's weird. Why would she leave without that? And But he just says, like, well, Jan took her. Jan picked her up and took her. So he's got a bit of a space to build up an alibi. And then, of course, most importantly, Jan is a communist. And he's an active communist and an open communist. And... And Bigger Thomas already sort of resented Jan because Jan sort of forced him to break those unwritten rules, or, or in some cases, written, really written rules. And the Jim Crow South, these rules were written about interacting in public across racial lines, right? That, that was a big part of book one, is his constant anxiety over just being in public with these young white people, including Mary, a white woman. Um, you know, appearing sociable with them in public. Um, that, of course, is not... The, the experience of that is different now, and I think that's something the movie 
that new movie adaptation doesn't quite get in the same way because it's a very different feel. Uh, they try to do it in that the, the white characters who visit like this black club are, are kind of out of place, but there's not the, the strong social prohibition on that, and that kind of social interaction. But Jan and Mary, as progressive communist uh, sympathizing characters, just, you know, want to emphasize their, their, are their virtue signaling? Maybe a little bit, but they're, they want to, they, they're legitimately anti-racist. And that brings them to, to want to do their part to break down those barriers. But they don't really understand that that's harder for someone like Bigger Thomas to accept. So anyways, my point is Bigger Thomas is already kind of upset with Jan. Um, and, and, you know, he gave him like communist propaganda. So he's kind of an easy target for the frame job. Um, but he doesn't do a very good job of it, as it's clear. It, it fools people for a while, but it, it doesn't hold. Um, because they, they first determined pretty quickly that Jan has alibis. He wasn't there. There's no physical evidence. There's all sorts of reasons why he can't be the one, although they do take him in and question him. Um, and, and actually, Jan eventually f forgives Bigger for this, uh, this attempted frame job. But anyways, um, the first part is kind of that, is surrounding like where Jan is the major suspect. Then we kind of are introduced to Bessie and and bigger bigger thomas's girlfriend i mean bessie who i think is maybe mentioned earlier but we don't really get to see her till book two and she's dead by the end of book two so we only really see her in book two although she she's an important figure in the trial section um if if for no other reason than her absence from that because he's on trial he's being executed for killing a white woman not for killing bessie and that's it's pointed out in the text, and it's an important thematic of of the book. All right, so we got uh, we got Bessie introduced, and that's really connecting to you know it's it's I, it's pretty clearly a big mistake that Bigger Thomas makes is where he wants to make it look like she's kidnapped, and he thinks you know it could look like again they could still just blame Jan for this. Um, but at first, he leaves it kind of ambiguous that Jan's to blame in general. He tries to push the police onto him. But then he gets this idea, like, if people think she's been kidnapped, they'll, the Daltons are rich. They'll pay a ransom. And, and he can have a nest egg, then that will let him move into the future and get out of poverty. And remember, that's, that's, the, that's what we first learn about him, is that he's with poor. He's being kicked off. His family's being kicked off the dole. He's the only one who can really work, and he's got this responsibility. He gets this job driving around the Daltons, and he, he fucks it up on the first day. But he's still got this burden of money. We're always reminded of his poverty, and we're reminded also here of Dalton's relationship to that poverty in that they own the slum houses that he lives in, and the exorbitant rents that he charge benefit his, the Daltons. All right, so as sympathetic as Mary might be, you know, the money, the life she lives comes from the blood and sweat of poor blacks living in rat-infested slum apartments. So Bigger gets in his idea like, I'm going to get my piece and I'm just going to write a ransom letter and demand the money and use Bessie then as kind of the, the, 
the collector, the one who's going to collect it so he can stay kind of separate from it. And then again, they'll, they'll just say that this is the communist trying to, to raise, raise funds using, using Mary's. And, and then, and that would like, I guess in his mind, further push them towards Jan and the communists, but it doesn't work because it eventually becomes a little more suspicious. And, and eventually when, Jan's no longer the suspect when the police kind of move from him. It kind of only leaves bigger Thomas because he's the only one that was with her that night. And there's eyewitnesses that they were there and they start to see that. So then that moves into... Um, now, one thing, more thing about Bessie and her plays is she suspects bigger did something to Mary. She suspects from very early on and at first bigger denies it and... And just says, well, you know, she's gone and we can just make some money from this. But it's all very suspicious, right? It's like if someone famous disappeared under mysterious circumstances and then your boyfriend comes and says like, well, we could, you know, I didn't do it. But if we write a ransom letter, we might get some cash. It's, it, you know, that's not how normal people think to take advantage of a situation when, you know, they hear some famous person vanished. So she's very suspicious of him. But there's like always a threat of violence with because remember, bigger even though we grow to sympathize with this character over time and understand him a little bit better. Remember, he is kind of a thug. He is a, a bit of a bully. We, we see him beating up people. We see him plotting crimes. We see him, you know, of course, whatever motivated him to mur murder Mary, you know, is the, the heart of the novel, I guess. But he wasn't wake he didn't wake up that day with the intention to do it you know he felt he had to to avoid a worse consequence but uh you know outside of that he's not a nice guy basically and bessie knows that and bessie's a little bit afraid of him so um that's an important context for this story i think um so bigger has various interviews with the daltons and with uh and with this uh P.I. I, I forget his name. Let me see. I have it written down here somewhere. In the margins. Britain. Britain is his name. He's the private investigator hired by the Daltons to investigate the disappearance of Mary and Biggers questioned. And eventually, initially, he also just goes along with this. Now, that's an important thing I want to emphasize. And that's kind of like the heart of this episode. And for that, I have to kind of spoil something that's going to come a little bit later on. But, you know, I don't believe in spoilers. So especially not for books that are 80 years old. The When he's arrested, the media goes full vitriolic racist you know painting bigger as a violent a simian creature the descriptions of him like hunched over with the long arms literally the newspapers painting him like an ape um and that's emphasizing just how the media like dis distorts the representation of black people in america right um and and a read initially assumes he raped her, right? Like that, I think, I mentioned this last time too, but I think it's such an important point in this book is that, first of all, I mean, maybe he had it in his mind. Who knows how far he would have gone if Miss Dalton's mom hadn't walked in. He did 
like steal some kisses and do creepy, gropey stuff with her. I mean, stuff that's clearly like not good and not right. But uh, I'm not sure how far that would have gone. But, but certainly he did not rape her. He murdered her. But the media, and there's no going to not be evidence. The body was burned. If there was a live body, and then it, you know, they could have looked. Said, oh, raped or not, right? Physical evidence. But with the body being burned, they're not going to be able to prove it. And it's just the assumption he did, right? And that's important. But I think, and it's easy to notice because it is so shocking and disgusting when you, when you read that part of it. But early on in flight, the assumption that Bigger Thomas is just the obedient servant, is just, and he's only been working on them for a day, right? But he, he, in a sense, is able to code switch enough to put on that f- facade of being the obedient servant of the rich family, right? The, you know, I don't want to say an Uncle Tom character, but because he's obviously not that, but he's, he can play it to a certain degree, right? So it's a, it's a bit of code switching that, that someone in his position has to get good at to survive, right? Um, and a, big, a lot's been made in this book about how he refers to everyone, all white people, as Mr. So-and-so. Right? Sometimes Mr. and then their first name, like Mr. Max. Or is, is Max the last name? Anyway, um, I think he says Mr. Jan sometimes too. But it's not till the end of the novel that he actually just says Jan, like say Jan, tell Jan something or other, not using the Mr. But throughout the book, he only refers to white people by Mr. So-and-so. And that's, that's his training. That's what he's been taught to do. And it's only before he faces his death that he he's in his lowest point, right? That he feels the ability to, I mean, he's come to terms. So maybe it's not his lowest because by that point he's come to terms with his fate. But he's able to talk to this talk about this white character as an equal, right? With another first name. Um, but, and, and again, I don't want to say he's fooling because his, his whole plan here kind of sucks. But, because white people assume the communist is the rabble rouser, the rebel, the troublemaker. Jan, so Jan is an easy target. And someone like Bigger would never do this, right? Um, and that itself is that he's not taken seriously as a potential criminal is also based on the racism of the time, right? It's, uh, but the f- switch, the switch is so sudden and shocking. He goes from being... The peaceful driver who, you know, really wouldn't hurt a fly to this monster, total monster in every way, in the minds of the whites. Um, and there's no change in bigger in that time. Right? He's more or less the same. His change comes in the book three in Fate, where he really just, uh, and it's more about, you know, realizing his fate, I guess, realizing where his life is going to end. And his complicity, his role in that, and, and the broader social context that put him in that place. Um, I guess the other character who does have a change, I think, is Mr. Max. Max, the, 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 the defender of, of Bigger Thomas. But we'll get to that later on. Um, so where does this section end? I think it's before the Bessie murder, but after the police had already like changed their their belief they're shifted to bigger as the suspect, right? Um, 
And there's, they, they first start to suspect him a little bit more um, because Jan, the JN investigation really is dead end. He obviously didn't do it. There's no evidence of that. So they're unable to prove it. And then eventually they find the like bits of remnants of bone in the, in the coal. And Jan wouldn't have had access to that. Bigger did. So he becomes the target. And then he flees. But it's somewhere around there that, you know, the section I want to talk about today stops. But but roughly where the they start to change the investigation to to bigger. That's that's good enough. Um, so let's look at some some moments here that I think are important. Now um, now as he wakes up, uh, he thinks back on that night, and one thing he's he's thinking about is the evidence he has, and including that, the evidence of, of these communist pamphlets that Jan gave him, right? So he's worried about anything that's going to incriminate him, right? Um, you know, blood on the blade because he cut off uh, her head after, after suffocating her. But, he's, but he focuses on these pamphlets that Jan gave him. And that's, again, like he does not want to have anything to do with these, these communists, right? who are sort of intruding in his life. That's how he feels about Jan, that Jan is just making his life more troublesome, making his job trouble, right? And he feels that way to some degree about Mary too, who he grows to hate in the short time that he knows her. Um, but he can't really say no to, to Jan either in taking it, right? Because there is like a racial privilege that Jan has in which he can kind of force Bigger to take this propaganda and take it seriously. He's not going to read it. He's not going to really investigate it or study what it has. His, he, he's going to learn from the school of life very, very shortly, right? But what, is, what do we have here? Um, but he thinks maybe this could be part of the, of, the, of the frame job, right? Jan had given him these pamphlets, and he would keep them and show them to the police if he was ever questioned. That's it. He would take them to his room at Dalton's and put them in the dresser drawer. He would say that he had not even opened them and had not wanted to which is actually kind of true. Uh, he would say that he had taken them only because Jan had insisted. Again, true. He shuffled the pamphlet softly so that the paper would not rustle. He read the titles. Race, Prejudice on Trial. The Negro Question in the United States. Black and White Unite and Fight. Those are three pamphlets. But that did not seem so dangerous. He looked at the bottom of the pamphlet and saw a black and white picture of the hammer and a curving knife, um, which he doesn't even, in his point of view, doesn't know the hammer and sickle. He's, he's not even like familiar with basic communist iconography. He tries to copy it at one point in his ransom letter because he's trying to pin it on the communists, but he, he kind of can't even draw it very well. So that's how far, like, I, there's a bit of a, a criticism, I think, here of just the communists' inability to really speak to black people from where they are and what they need to hear. Um, I think by this point, Richard Wright maybe is being just a little disillusioned with the Communist Party and especially on the racial question. Um, you know, I, my understanding is that they take very seriously racial equity, right? And that's all fine and good, but it doesn't, it doesn't help really organize blacks in a way to support the party, right? Because it's, it's not understanding this relationship from the other side of the veil, Du Bois's veil, right? Anyways, um, 
Below it, it read a line that said, issued by the Communist Party of the United States. Now, that did seem dangerous. Now, he's heard that communists are dangerous, right? So he, he, he starts to work in this communism into his kidnapping plan and the, and, the, and, the, and the frame job. But I think it's pretty clear that Bigger doesn't understand this. He's never going to read these pamphlets. Jan doesn't understand Bigger at all, thinking, oh, if you just read these pamphlets, you'll join up with the party pretty soon. He's not like the characters in Uncle Tom's Children who are like communists. I, I think it's significant that they came out of the South where you did have a strong communist movement in the 1930s. Uh, if you read Robin Kelly's book, Hammer and Ho, he emphasizes like he, that's about Alabama sharecroppers and how they were mobilized by communists in the 30s very aggressively. I don't think there was as much effective mobilization of, of African-Americans in the cities by communists, uh, although there's probably some scholarship on that that I'm not familiar with. What I've read emphasized the rural South. Now, of course, in the 70s, you have the Black Panthers and all sorts of black unions and communist organizations and revolutionary movements in cities. But those come out of the black communities themselves. They're not extensions of Moscow. They're not extensions of the Comintern, right? So if Moscow is saying like, oh, the big issue of the working class in America is the, is the Negro question, therefore the communists in America must address that. And they, they, they do. They try to do that, right? And it's, I guess that's to their credit, but they're never going to be able to like look at it from the other side of the veil. And that's what's going to make their efforts futile. I, I think there is something to that. And so it gets reduced to just this, just a tool that Bigger can use. Jan's communism is just a tool that Bigger can use to kind of deflect the crime away from himself. To, to someone who is deemed the big baddie of the time, right? The, the, the terrorist threat. So um, anyways, now the, there's another passage here where the question of race and guilt and the crime all sort of come together that I want to read to you. Quote, though he had killed by accident, not once did he feel the need to tell himself that it had been an accident. He was black, and he had been alone in a room where a white girl had been killed. Therefore, he had killed her. That was what everyone would say anyway, no matter what he said. In a certain sense, he knew that the girl's death had not been accidental. He had killed many times before. Only on those other times, there had been no handy victim or circumstance to make visible or dramatic his will to kill. End quote. So this is the major theme of the novel is that um, Bigger has, this isn't the only victim of Bigger. It's like Bigger has always, this has always been in him. Right? And there have always been moments in which he was capable of killing due to fear and rage and, and all these things. But the situation just hadn't come. Right, This was just inevitably going to happen in him. The crime seemed natural. He felt that all of his life that had been leading to something like this, it was no longer a matter of dumb wonder as to what would happen to him in his black skin. He knew now the hidden meaning of his life, a meaning which others did not see, and which he had always tried to hide, it spilled out. No, it was no accident, and he would never say that it was. There was in him a kind of terrified pride in feeling and thinking that one day he would be able to say publicly that he had done it. It was though he had an obscure but deep debt to fulfill himself in accepting the deed. Unquote. Now, this is eventually his arc, where he eventually goes, right? But at the same time, he's going through the motions of this evasion, uh, of the frame job and of trying to get the money, which, uh, you know, I, I think it comes together. I think it makes sense that 
he's going to. Well, I guess it's right here in the text. Like the one thing that stops him from just fully embracing it at this point is things like his family and, and how he'll look to them and, and his duties to the family. He mentions them a little bit. Um, but nevertheless, he's got this little bit of, actually the word here is elation we're given uh, about what he's done. Like it's, it's like he, by killing Mary, he's, he's almost popped a, a big zit or something. And... And it allows him to sort of calm down. He's actually a much calmer character in some ways in flight than he is in, in fear, which is kind of horrifying to think about. In fear, we have these passages like the one where he's looking up and sees the airplane. And he, he wants to be a pilot. He knows he'll never get his chance. If he goes to the military, he won't get one to go to flight school. He'll, you know, there were black, black pilots, but, you know, that he didn't know there would be. At the time, I don't think there was. Um, and, he, and he talks about how he just got this like feeling inside of him, this like, you know, that's always with him, this like deep cancer. Um, and he's, he's having trouble describing it to his friends, right? And you see that throughout. He's constantly feeling anxious. And there is a bit of relief in, the, in this section among the character where he's just, yeah, he's in a sense going through these motions of trying to do the invasion, but... He's at least come to terms with that part of him, right? What he hasn't come to terms with, I think, is the broader why of it. And that he has to figure out in part three. And then the acceptance of the consequences, the, the choice to stop running, or the, or the acceptance of that, that he can't run or evade anymore, that there's no way out. Um, so what else? One other passage. Um, that kind of ties all these things together. Um, this is after his official, like, um, the, the next day where, you know, Mary's gone, so he's, he's free to do what he wants. This is before he's a suspect. As he rode, looking on the black people on the sidewalk, he felt the one way to end fear and shame was to make all those black people act together, rule them and tell them what to do and make them do it. Um, which is, I guess, a solution is like the revolutionary authoritarianism, like a kind of a Leninist strategy, maybe. It's not going to be bigger. Thomas is the one to do it. But why does he now feel he, even in his fantasy, that he could be the one to do it? And I think the murder did cause that change in him. Um, dimly, he felt that there should be one direction in which he and all their black people could go wholeheartedly, and there should be a way in which gnawing hunger and restless aspiration could be fused, that there should be a manner of acting that caught the mind and body and a certainty and faith and he felt that he would never happen to him and his black people and he hated them and wanted to wave his hand and blot them out yet he still hoped vaguely of late he had liked to hear tell of men who could rule others for an action such as those he felt that there was a way to escape from this tight morass of fear and shame that sapped the base of his life he liked to hear how japan was conquering china of how Hitler was running the Jews to the ground, how Mussolini was invading Spain. He was not concerned with whether these acts were right or wrong. They simply appealed to him as possible avenues of escape. He felt that someday there would be a black man who would whip the black people in a tight band, and together they would act and end the fear and shame. And quote. So I want to stop there and say, like, for him, it's not freedom. Like, you think how people talk about the civil rights movement as, like, the freedom struggle or the, the freedom generation or something. That's not how Bigger Thomas thinks about it. Like he thinks about it, just an end of the fear and the shame is is enough. 
right? It's not even about freedom or economic equality or justice or anything like that. It's just about ending the fear, ending that, that cancer that he feels in his gut. It was fear that made him fight Gus in the pool room. He had felt certain of himself and of Gus. He would not have fought. If he had felt certain of himself and of Gus, he would not have fought. But he knew Gus, and he knew himself, and he knew that one of them might fail through fear at the decisive moment. How could he think of going to rob Blooms that way? He distrusted and feared Gus, and he knew that Gus distrusted and feared him. And the moment he tried to band himself and Gus together to do something, he would hate Gus and himself. Ultimately, though, his hate and hope turned outward from himself and Gus. His hope toward a vague, benevolent something that would help and lead them, and his hate towards the whites. For he felt that they ruled him, even when they were far away and not thinking of him, ruled him by conditioning him in his relations to his own people. Powerful word there, conditioning. And of course, we know about operant conditioning. We, we're post-behavioralists. We understand the, the, the discoveries of the behavioralists, whether we want to like embrace them fully or partially. We have to, I mean, partially, it's, it's, we have to, right? Operant conditioning is at least influential in our psychology, right? And, and I don't know to what degree um, Richard Wright's been exposed to the behavioralists. I mean, you have Watson studies in the 20s and, and Skinner in the 30s. So, you know, Richard Wright would have had this language of, of behaviorism in his, um, his research. If you don't know, operant condition is like, well, there's cl the classical condition is like the Pavlov thing, and that's what Watson was doing to humans, right? Conditioning humans to be like afraid of bunnies and stuff. And they did this with the little baby. Um, but Skinner's stuff was with like with the, the rats in the maze or the rats in the, the food pellets and things that you could get them to act certain ways for, for certain rewards or, pun or to avoid punishments. Um, yeah, that's, a, that's in psychology. Um, but the language of, beha of behavioralism is used here in conditioning here. Um, but anyways, um, anything else to say here? I mean, plot-wise, it's kind of how I, I laid it out, that he's uh, he, he tries to con or he gets Bessie, his girlfriend, on board this plot to write this letter, this ransom letter, and ask for like $30,000 that he hopes can be enough for him to kind of make this all worth it and maybe get out. Now, remember, he's already at this point accepted his, his, his that he'll eventually be caught for this, right? But he's still going to try. He's still going to um, do this. And, and you don't get the sense he's really doing it for his family. Like he's going to give that money to them. Um, meanwhile, through all this, Bessie is incredibly paranoid and terrified of, of Bigger. She knows deep down he did it. Eventually Bigger admits to it, but that's moments before he, he, he then kills Bessie to keep her quiet. Uh, that's another crime that he has no remorse for. I'm, I mean, that's the hardest thing to deal with in this book is – not even the accidental murder, right? It's it's the lack of of remorse that Baker feels, and and I think Richard Wright wants to say that it's he's in, it's incapable, it's not possible um, to really feel that way when you're forced to do something, when it was like forced upon him uh, by the conditions that were not of his making, right? And that, that's kind of what the lawyer ends up saying too. Although it's a hard case to make, right? You're probably listening right now and saying that like that sounds really weird, but it's it's coming from the text. It's whether you accept it or not. That's what Richard Wright is trying to tell us: is that it's that Jim Crow segregation 
white supremacy created Bigger Thomas, right? And as disgusting as he is to look at as, as a human being, you know, it's a, it's a white society that created him and, and, and sort of owns him, right? But I think that's what, by, by getting rid of the pathos, I mean, he said when he was going to write this book, he didn't want to have the pathos that, that people accused him of, of writing with Uncle Tom's children. I don't think that's, I think that's not really a very, a book with a lot of pathos, but that's what people said. Um, but anyways, this is no sentiment at all involved in this book. And, and, I, and I think it needs that to work because if he would have, Compromise on some of these questions, or made his character more appealing, or made, uh, or, or or allowed that little window of hope. It wouldn't have had that same impact that it does. So, anyways, in the next uh, episode, I'll finish up talking about Book Two, Flight, and then talk about the first part of Fate, which deals with some of the trial things. And then in the final episode, I'll I'll really emphasize the the final trial and the final resolution to the novel, which. You know, no surprises. We, we know that it ends with his execution and there's really nothing that can be done from the time of the murder to the execution. For the three quarters of the novel, there, the fate is there. It's just waiting to happen. And I think there's another bold choice in the novel to make us drag through with Bigger Thomas to his, to his death um, when nothing can be done to stop it. All right, that's it for now. Um, so... So thanks for listening, and I will see you next time. And every night they sang in the pale moonlight. Oh, by gee, by gosh, by gum, by jaw. Oh, by jingo, won't you share our love? We will build for you a hut. You're going to be our favorite nut. We'll have a lot of little oh, by gollies. Then we'll put them in the follies.